0: Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. It is an undeniable fact that our great God has an awesome purpose for moms. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer takes us into God's Word with an important word for us. We do apologize on the front end of things. Our recording glitched during the first part of the talk, but we pick up right after his intro. Today's talk is called, It's Okay to Be a Woman. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. More information on how you can connect with us here at Unity will follow today's talk. Here's Heath with today's message, It's Okay to Be a Woman.
1: God likes it when we are unique, when men are distinctly masculine, when women are distinctly feminine. I can show you that from a number of passages. I'll show you in Deuteronomy 22, 5. You know, if you ever get asked, does God ever speak uh, to the issue of drag queens? I hope you don't get asked that a lot, but if you do, you'll know where to go. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, God says, "'A woman shall not wear a man's garment, "'nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, "'for whoever does these things is an abomination to your God.'" So when we try to present, when we're born a certain sex and gender, and we try to change that, whether physiologically through surgery, or we try to change that by how we dress and appear to the world, what does God call that in Deuteronomy 22, five, He uses a special word for it. He uses, it's a really harsh word. It's abomination. Now, you, know, you may not know a, a lot of high-end English words. You may, but whether you do or not, you know that's not a good word. Abomination is a very difficult word. It means it's a, it's a word that God finds, something God finds repulsive. It causes an emotional response from God. It's the very same word abomination that God uses to describe how he feels about child sacrifice. And so for God, it's not okay for women to try to look like men, men to try to look like women, women to try to act like men, men to try to act like women. God enjoys the distinctiveness of men and women because He created us this way, and because both within the man and the woman, with the uniqueness of our gender, God, God sees himself in us, we are reflected reflecting Him. so but understand how God created male and female. We have to go back to the Garden of Eden. so hopefully you found yourself in Genesis chapter two we 're going to read this morning about how God created women. they are different in role, different in body and different in spirit. Number one, women are different in role. Look at verse chapter two, and we're gonna begin in verse 18. Now, as soon as I say women are different in role, we're going to all of a sudden hear the world hissing. Is this a popular notion, by the way, that men and women have differences? Remember, God loves differences between men and women. Who doesn't like the differences between men and women? Satan, because he opposes everything God did. The very first thing God did when he created us is he gave us male and female differences. And if Satan wants to try to unwind all that God is doing, he's gonna begin in the garden trying to unwind what God did at the creation of man or woman. He's going to try to unwind male and female. But roles, when we say that there are gender roles, okay, we're not saying that somebody has to look like a certain role within American history. Okay? we're not saying that, but that man and woman do have unique roles. And we need to understand this about roles too. Roles are not an evil thing. I would argue at your place of work, you probably fulfill a role, don't you? There's probably not too many of you that do everything at the job. You play a role and it doesn't make you inferior. You just play a different part. There's even roles within the Godhead, aren't there? Famous teacher Howard Hendricks once said, "You know, God the Father and the roles that they play is the architect, he draws up the plan. Jesus is the builder and the Holy Spirit is the real estate agent that he sells that to others. That uh, what He was trying to communicate is that the, even within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they play different roles. And I would go even further to say that if you look through scripture, you will even see the, the uh, issues of submission playing there. Jesus says, nevertheless not my will but yours be done. The Holy Spirit proceeds, the Bible says, he is sent by Jesus, he is sent by the Father. The doctrine of procession says that there is submission even within the Godhead. Do roles and submission make God inferior to one another? It does not, you gotta be careful with that. The members of the Godhead are fully equal to one another. And so the idea that roles make you a lesser being and therefore you should seek to be like something other than what God made us, is a satanic attack on the home and society. Honestly, it's a desire for us to be completely self-sufficient. I don't need no man in my life or men. I don't need any woman in my life. I'm completely self-sufficient. That's a, that's a desire of man to be divine. Only God is entirely self-existent. How did God create man? God created man with a gap, a gap that only the woman fills. Genesis chapter two verse eighteen. Then the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone. And I will make him a helper fit for him." Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field out of the every bird of the heavens, and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And so Adam is naming all of these animals, and he's noticing there's male and female here, there's male and female here, there's male and female here, and then eventually he looks to himself and says, "Well, where's my partner?" Where is that which corresponds to me? It says, but for Adam, there was, no, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so what we see from this passage is that man needs woman. He needs woman. That men, men have weaknesses in places where God has given women strengths. That we are created differently, but meant to correspond to one another. God gives us deficiencies because we are not God. When the Bible says, it is not good for man to be alone, ladies, can you agree to that? If you were to leave your husband on his own for a significant period of time, would he be in trouble? I'm gonna tell you, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Before I met my wife, I've told you before, I was not living my best life now. I was, uh, the, the summer that I got married, I stayed back at the college campus of my Bible college, and me and two other guys roomed up together. And I was so cheap I wouldn't even rent a dresser or a bed. I went out and bought a $19 Coleman air mattress and I slept on the floor on an air mattress and and you know how those are, they deflate and you end up on the ground by morning. And I was living out of a suitcase that entire summer. Too cheap to buy these things. Would you believe I never put a single decoration on the wall? Not a one. I did not have a curio shelf in the corner. I did not put up picture frames. I, we were not burning incense, though it probably would have helped. Not one time that summer did we clean the bathroom. Come on, I was, I was 20. Not one of us three guys cleaned the bathroom and then all of a sudden one day my wife-to-be Amber shows up to that apartment with this, these three bachelors who are all three preparing to get married and she discovers just this pigsty You know, she discovered that I had been eating hot dogs and oatmeal cream pies every night for dinner. And that's not a joke, it's not hyperbole here. I actually ate oatmeal cream pies and hot dogs all summer long before I met her. And she comes in and she cleans that filthy house and she vacuums, she cleans the bathroom. You could take a straight razor with the soap scum we had built on the bottom of the tub and peel it up like an Irish Spring commercial. I'm not proud of this, but I was once there but God rescued me with this sweet woman, this sweet, hardworking woman who sees the beauty in life that I frankly just didn't have a, a concern about whether or not my life was beautiful. My life was functional. It was efficient and I got stuff done and I was happy with that. But I look back at my own life and I look at where I live today and I thank God that I have a woman in my life. My life is significantly multiple times better than what it ever could have been apart from this woman. And it's because she is different than me. I didn't want another, you know, Adam Schumacher or Bill Rowland in my life, my my roommates at the time. I didn't need another guy in my life to trash the house like me. I I needed somebody who was strong where I was weak and she she just loved me. In Genesis chapter two, though, God identifies that there are certain roles that women play that they are, God has uniquely gifted you for. It says, it is not good that man should be alone. So what do we do? I'm going to give him a, and the term he uses twice in this passage is helper. I'm going to give him a helper. This is the Hebrew word ezer, which simply means one who gives aid or assistance. An aetzer is used one time here of the woman, and a role that she does is she comes and she fills in the gaps of her husband. Do you want to know what the other 20 times aetzer refers to? It refers to God. God is an aetzer, God is a helper. And so when, we, when the Bible talks about a woman being a helper to her husband, it has nothing to do with diminishing her role. Actually, it is God referring to the woman in a title that he gives himself. She is going to be strong where this man is weak. It's identifying that men and women, we aren't created self-sufficient beings that in an ideal scenario, that home is gonna have the masculine and feminine traits all within that home. And that woman comes alongside her husband and she helps him like a math teacher to the kids. She is strong in algebra. Your kids were not born that way because you weren't born that way. She is a helper to those kids, isn't she? Does that make the math teacher inferior to the children? I would argue it makes her strong. She is playing to her strengths as a math teacher. Similarly, as a woman comes along and as she is the aider, the helper of the man, she is simply playing to the strengths that God has given her. It's a position of strength. It's a position of respect. In Genesis 2, God describes as this woman as a helper being fit for him. This means opposite, but corresponding to the man. She is different from the man, but in a good way. Now I have brought with me a nut and a bolt. It's oversized because like most of us men, we also are oversized. Uh, Also has a hard head, but it is groovy. So this is a nut and a bolt. These men, we're like these, 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 these bolts here and we have a purpose, we have a function and we're created very, very differently than the woman. This is gonna represent the woman. I'm not going to describe the nut because it's round. I'm not going to say make any connections there because I want to leave this sanctuary alive. But what I want you to notice is this, the nut and the bolt are very very different and unique to one another, aren't they? What I would ask you is which is more important? Is this is this nut or this bolt very useful apart from the nut? I would argue that in most circumstances it's not. What about a a nut by itself? Is it useful by itself? I would argue in most circumstances it's not. Where do they become useful? It's when this nut and this bolt decide to work together, despite the fact that they're fulfilling very different and unique roles, that one is not more important than the other, one is not better than one another, but it is in their working together, playing to the strengths that God has given you, that we find our strength. In that same way, the ideal for the home, God is gonna show you in Genesis chapter two, in verse 26, that a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. When that nut and bolt come together and they come together in a one flesh relationship and they establish a home God has secured that home because now both elements of the of God's divine attributes are represented in the man and the woman together and the child when they grow up under and inside that home they see all elements and attributes of God this is what it means that women are fit for men not different or not inferior but different Different, but corresponding to. That you are built with a purpose, strengths and weaknesses. The bolt has weaknesses, the nut has weaknesses, but together, they hold together the home, and I would argue the very fabric of reality and life itself. So that's Genesis two, that we are fit for one another. Men and women, we are opposite, but corresponding to, and I think we can celebrate those differences. I think it's very interesting. I've reading some articles in the last couple of weeks. And do you know what a, a trend is that's on the rise today amongst even secular folks? There's, have you ever heard of a term called the trad wife, the traditional wife? It's an actual thing. It's a it's, it's phenomenon that's it's starting to arise within secular culture that people are looking back at grandma's life and great grandma's life and they're starting to wonder, hmm, maybe grandma and grandpa, great grandma and grandpa were onto something. Maybe it's not, maybe the key to my happiness in life is not a higher standard of living, but a better standard of living. Because really, what's the most important thing in your life? You know, I've sat at the, you know, at the deathbed of many folks, and do you know I've never once heard them express regret or remorse that they didn't take better vacations? Never once have I had a guy say, you know what, I just wish I had a nicer car that I could have driven around while I was on Earth. I wish I could have bought a bigger house, wish I wore nicer clothes, Wish I could have ate at better restaurants. Guess I'll never have that chance. What does everybody say at that point in time in their life? They talk about the things that were most important. What are usually their regrets? I wish I spent more time with my dad. I wish I spent more time with my kids. I wish I spent more time with my wife. I wish I valued the things that are most important in life, and that's our relationship to God and our relationship with other people. That's the only thing that gives these possessions any significance to begin with are the people that we share them with. And so people are starting to wake up and understand, you know what, maybe my best life is not a higher standard of living, but a better one. And I would argue that women and mothers make that life better. Now when we acknowledge the blessing of being a homemaker, again, I just want to say this is not an attack on women working outside the home. Women have always done that to some degree. The Proverbs 31 woman, she is praised as a godly and virtuous woman. What she also do? She also had some, I guess they call them side hustles today. They had these little gigs on the side that she did to earn some money. That's great. You had Lydia in the book of Acts, godly woman. What did she also do? She was a seller of purple. I would argue she was a successful businesswoman. So this is not a diatribe against women working. Take that with you. What I'm saying is, women, whatever you do, don't be doing it simply to improve your standard of living when you work. And when you work, whatever you do, don't let, don't let yourself be convinced that it's more important than your home, your relationship to your husband, your relationship to your kids. You have value in making the home. In fact, I would argue, you're, you're guarding the thing that's our greatest treasure, most important thing to us is that home. Our possessions are meaningless Our vacations mean nothing if we're not enjoying the relationships that are along for for the ride with us. In speaking to women's roles, Titus 2, three through five also speaks to that. It says, older women are to train young women to do something, love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, and then it says working at home. Now this working at home doesn't mean that women cannot work outside the home. What he's saying is that God has given you a unique gift and a role that men aren't real good at playing. You ever seen men try to be a mom? You ever seen men try to be a a, a mother to these children? It's, It's a comedy, isn't it? Mr. Mom, you know, and all these other, these comedies. You know, Mrs. Doubtfire, when men try to perform the role of a mom, we, we laugh at that. We're just, we don't, aren't as gifted in that area as the ladies are because God has gifted women in that way. And so this, this command here to be a worker at home is never given to men. But it's commanded in Titus 2 for older women to train the younger women in this area. What does that mean? It's something that God has uniquely gifted women at in making you strong in the most important area of our life, and that's our home. In fact, this word "worker at home" in the Greek literally is translated "a home guardian," that God and if you notice this, men, that sometimes we'll get so busy trying to accomplish things in life and gain more money and save more money and try to secure our life and increase our standard of living, and to a degree, that's something that God has put in the heart of men to provide for our families. We have this strong, overwhelming urge to provide, but sometimes we'll allow that to get in the way of the health of our home itself. And so God has given us a woman who is a home guardian. She's gonna make sure, yeah, let's go ahead and get ahead, let's try to do financially as good as we can, but let's not ignore one another. Let's not ignore these kids. Men, how many times have your wives ever said that to you? Hey, I know you got things to do, but you got a kid here and he wants to talk to you. You got a kid here who had a hard day at work. I know you're busy, I know you're stressed out, but you need to talk to him. It's not usually the husband going to the wife saying that, hey baby, there's a kid over here who really needs to talk to you, you need to not be so busy. It's because God has uniquely gifted women to be a home guardian. It's a strong, vital position. And when we ignore this position in society, read the book of Judges. It collapses in Judges 2.10. It says, because there arose a generation who did not know the Lord. How does that happen? It's when the home disintegrates. Moms, we die without you. Dads, if you don't make, make as much money to give us this standard of living, that's okay. But if moms stop doing their job, society collapses. And I don't say that just for exaggeration. Number two, we're gonna see here that women are different in body. You know, 10 years ago, this wouldn't even be a sermon point. You know, I thought we nailed this down in kindergarten. Girls had their restrooms, boys had their restrooms. Boys are different than girls. And if you didn't know it by then, you know, sixth grade, they teach you that whole bird and beast class. And you figured out real quick, boys are different than girls. Bodily, God equipped our bodies in unique and different ways that should be celebrated biology class told, told us there are differences between men and women, 10th grade biology. I learned, and because I had a Christian biology teacher and a, and a good one, and she taught us that at birth, God assigned to us a certain order of chromosomes. You're either an XX or an XY. And so in a very real sense, a doctor did not assign your gender at birth, who did? It was God, God put us together in fact, I'll say even more clearly, Psalm 139 verse 13 says, talking about God, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what that says about you today? Who, no matter who you are here today in this sanctuary, no matter what you think about your parents, you're, you're not an accident. Whether you feel wanted by your mom and dad, whether you're an adopted kid, you don't even know who your parents are, What does it say about your life? What did God do with you when you were in your mother's womb? He formed your inward parts and he knitted you together. You are fearfully, and the Bible says, each one of you is wonderfully made. There's not a soul in here that does not have intrinsic value because every soul here is somebody that God hand-made together. The term that he uses here is he knit me together in our mother's womb. By the way, if ever there was an argument that life begins at conception, it's right here, Psalm 139. When we kill babies in the womb, we are not killing fetuses. A term that we gave to dehumanize that child. We're not destroying a clump of cells. What are we destroying? God is atom by atom, cell by cell, knitting together intentionally and purposefully this young life. And it's man who goes in there with a knife and a vacuum to remove that. Life begins right here because Psalm 139 says life begins right here. But his Bible says that God thinks so much of you that he personally knit you together. Have you ever knitted before? I don't, I don't knit one bit. I'm no good at it, I lack the patience for it, I'd rather be running, throwing a ball, hitting, catching, shooting something, you know, uh, hunting, whatever it is. But I do have daughters who like to knit. And uh, in particular, my daughter Mackenzie, she loves to knit and crochet and I don't know, latch hook and sew and cross stitch and all those things that are extremely tedious. Well, we're sitting there watching a movie and she'll just be like N-n-n-n-n-n-n-n. And uh, I want to show you a picture. She made something here recently. Uh look at that. Yeah, I know, really. Um, This little guy has a name, he's called Xiao Bao because it means little bun. And the reason he's named that is because my son and daughter-in-law are having a baby in September, so we're gonna be grandparents. And so we call him Xiao Bao because Bao is our last name in China, and little, it just means little bower, or little steam bun in this case. So she, she knit this guy together. She took just a clump of string or, I don't know, yarn. What do you knitters call that? She took a clump of stuff, and she had a plan in her mind, and she had a goal in her mind. In her mind, she had a very particular way that this thing was going to turn out and look. And so she, painstakingly, little stitch by stitch, or whatever you call those things, and she just knit this guy together, and uh, when you're done, you have this little creature, and it, it makes everybody smile and say, oh, and it reminds us of our grandkid. Did I mention that already? We're going to have a grandkid. And so we all smile at this cute little knit thing, but what I want you to notice is she had a plan in her mind, and when you get the yarn, when it's in the hands of the knitter, you become what the knitter wants you to be. That's the prerogative of the knitter. He, gets, he or she gets to decide what you are. And in this very same way, in Psalm 139, God says, you are so special to God, God knit you together a certain way. God gets to choose your gender. It's up to man to accept that gender or to reject it. So when we have people today who are confused, and that's what it is, it's confusion. When we have people today who are confused about their gender, it's not because all of a sudden they realize there's something they're not. It means there's a problem between them and their creator. They do not accept what God made them. I reject God, what you've made me. I want to, if you will, this is hard, but I want to be my own God. I want to assign my gender, I want to take that divine prerogative that you have, and I want to make myself something else. I don't accept the way you made me, I'm going to be who I say I am. And that's hard to hear, but friends, that's exactly what we're doing. We are choosing to be God in His place. I want to choose my own gender. I, want, I mean, today we even have people wanting to choose their own species. I don't want to be a human anymore, I want to be in the furries, or you know whatever we call those things. And I don't say that to be demeaning to these friends. These are people who are genuinely confused by the evil one. We, have, we need to have love for these people who are confused. Because Satan has changed their mind to think that God, when he gave you this gender, meant nothing but evil for you. You know better than God. So we need to go back to the garden where things made sense. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, when God made man and woman, it says this, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he placed into, to the, um, into a woman and brought her to the man. So here we see very clearly, God chose to make man a man, and he chose to make a woman a woman, and when he did, he gave them unique and distinct and separate bodies. That's why they're called man and woman. Their bodies are different. Now, it's often been asked here, why did God take the woman from the man rather than just create her from the dust? I mean, isn't that what God did with all the animals? Isn't that even what God did with Adam, create him from the dust? Why did God create the woman from the man? I think God was communicating several things, one of those things is that God, uh, in this institution of the home, God created man first. God give, gave man the prerogative to work. So it's, it, it communicates to man, whatever she does is, her, is to her glory to do it, but you're not, you don't get the option of working outside the home or not. You're gonna provide. And additionally to that, God gave him a spiritual component. God gave man the spiritual command. Do not eat of this tree. See that tree over there? Don't eat of it. And so God gave man the commands to work and to lead his family in a spiritual way, so that when the woman came along after the man, there was no confusion as who's going to lead out in these areas. Men, you're going to lead in those areas. And so God brought uh, this woman to the man, and he exclaimed that she is the flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. And so he realizes that this is a woman that God has placed into his care and he needs to take good care of her. This is also communicated in Ephesians chapter five, or or rather, 1 Timothy chapter two, verses 12 to 15. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but she is to remain silent. Doesn't mean she can't talk in church, but she is not going to be in the pastoral role. Women, you wanna go be president, go for it. You wanna be a mayor, go for it. You wanna run your own business? It's between you, God, and your family. But in the two spiritual institutions of the home and the church, God wants men to lead. And God communicated that when he made man first. And to illustrate this point, Paul refers to creation when he talks about men leading in the church. He says, for or because Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Okay? Satan tricked the woman. The man was just straight up a rebel, you know, a leather jacket, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, rebel. Okay, that and that's why sin is passed on through the man and, and, and not as much, you know, not through the woman. Wherefore, as by sin entered the world through one man, and death by sin. Now, I think B that God God communicated something about women coming from man in that she is also his equal. Remember, Adam said, "Bone of my bone." Flesh of my flesh, she is the same thing as me. She is equal to me and equal in essence. She is in no way inferior to me. Galatians chapter three, verse 27 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He's talking about salvation here. And then he says, in reference to salvation, he says, and in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. Okay, God doesn't give you an advantage because you're a, 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 a Gentile or a Jew. You don't have an advantage, whether you're a slave or a free person. God doesn't care about your socioeconomic status. You all have equal access to God. And then he also says there's no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying that being a male or a female, God doesn't like you more. You don't have better access to the cross. You're not more important to God if you're a man or a woman. You are equal in him. Now, let's not take this passage further than what it is. He's not abolishing the uh, concept of male and female. He's not abolishing the concept even of male and female roles any more than he said, you're no longer Jews, you're no longer Greeks, you're no longer servants, and you're no longer masters. He's simply saying that in Christ, you have no spiritual advantage as a man or a woman. So women are not to be looked down on. They are not to be talked down to. They are not lesser beings. They are not inferior in any way. They are the other half of the nature and character of God. And see, being made in his own body, this communicated man that he should protect and provide for her. Ephesians 5, 28 speaks to this. He says, in the same way that husbands should love their wives, how? As their own bodies. How does a man take care of his body? He gives it everything at once, okay? He, He feeds it, he gives it rest, he makes sure he's not working too much. The Bible says that we need to treat our wives in the same way. Give her what she needs. Make sure she's not too tired, men. That she's not overworked. That she doesn't feel alone in the home. That she's the only one doing the housework. That she's the only one raising these kids. We wouldn't want that for ourselves. And so we treat our wives as we would our own bodies. We don't let our bodies get too tired. We don't let ourselves get overworked or we we shouldn't. And so we make sure that this woman feels appreciated. We make sure that we respect her and honor her. To love her as our own body means we put her needs even before our own. If there's enough food for one eat, one to eat and one dies, we die and that woman lives. That's how we give up our life for her as Christ gave up his life for the church. She is, our, she is like our own body. He says, he who loves his wife loves himself. So men, when we treat our wives with honor and kindness and respect and we make sure that their needs are met, he says, you're loving yourself. You wanna be the most selfish man in the world? Love your wife fully and completely and put her needs before your own. That is going to lead to a very happy man. He who loves his wife loves himself. She is your flesh. You are one and the same. When you do good to her, you're doing good to yourself. And so we treat them with honor and respect. And so ladies, when he, when he pulls your chair and pushes it in for her, if he wants to hold the door for her, if he wants to take you out to lunch today and give you anything you want on the menu, Let them do it. And men, don't tell her anything you want on the dollar menu. You're in the wrong place for Mother's Day. You take her somewhere where somebody takes your order. You know, somebody that's going to serve your wife, and you let her order whatever she wants on that menu. Ladies, if if that lady wants to order a lobster today, men, she's worth it. She's worth it. And we need to communicate to her that she's worth that to us. And finally, we see here, number three, women are different in spirit. That our differences between man and woman are not simply physiological, are they? Have you noticed that? Men, that your wives aren't like you, just in a female body. That they think differently than you, they act differently than you. When you watch old yeller, she responds to old yeller being put down a little differently than you did. You know, I'm reaching for the Cheetos and Dr. Pepper going, okay. And you know, my my girls be having the tissues out there and it's okay to be different, but women are different sociologically, that we don't talk to women like we would talk to a man, that we talk to them gruffly and harshly with these demands because that's how I do it, where I change out transmissions at the shop. We don't talk to our wife the same way because she is different even in spirit. First Peter 3, 3-4 through four refers to some of these emotional tendencies of women, that women are different than men, and so when he gave the women a warning, he recognized this is something that is a unique Struggle for women. He says, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry and the the clothing that you wear, but let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. God is saying, women, God finds your femininity, the differences between you and your husband. God finds that to be a precious thing. Something nothing to be shamed about. Even if your husband scorns you for crying at movies or he scorns you for being different than him, he scorns you for being more sensitive about something, scorns you for your desire for beauty around the house, you let him know God finds this precious. And so he gives w- women warnings uh, about her appearance, acknowledging that there are, there are distinct gender norms with women and men, and it's okay to acknowledge that because God acknowledges that. Did you know there's not a single admonition to men in scripture that says essentially the same thing? Men, do not let your adornment be outward merely. Do not worry about braiding your hair. Some of you men, that would be really hard. Don't let it just be braiding of hair and gold and fine clothing because men would hear that and go, all right. we're moving on now men get these admonitions in Titus too about like you know flee youthful lusts and you know live a moral life because there there are certain things that are distinctly difficult for men men are not that there are different things uh, between men and women sociologically women God has to warn them don't focus too much on yourself and God uses men like an object lesson In the book of James, chapter one, 23 and 24, he says, if anyone's like a a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and he goes away and all at once he forgets what he was like. He's saying that generally speaking, and by the way, this man doesn't mean mankind. This word man man is the Greek word onair, meaning a male. He's saying, don't be like your husband who goes to the mirror and says, yeah, I'm all right. You know, and we walk away, and and he has no idea what he looks like. He's shaking hands at church, and the woman looks over, and he's got hair sticking out like that, and and she's, you know, trying to make him look good because she wants her family to look good. Men, generally speaking, I know there are some who are concerned, but as a gender norm, the Bible acknowledges gender norms. Most men are not as concerned about their looks as most women. I mean, Look around. You men, when you, your wife got up this morning and she was you know, doing her hair and makeup and picking out her clothes, her outfit for Mother's Day while you were still drooling on the pillow. And it just acknowledges that generally speaking, God created women with this internal desire for beauty and order and things to smell good. And that's something that we celebrate together. It's beautiful. And so I don't care if you're from Ashland, Kentucky or a village in China, women all around the world bear these same sexual norms. And with most men around the world, you're like me. I have, in my bathroom, I have a hairbrush. My wife has three shelves, two drawers, and a tackle box. (laughs) This weekend, I worked. I was helping my son and daughter-in-law move and I was trying to fix a device that I had never seen before. She had a hairbrush that you plug into the wall. Men, ladies are reverting to power tools for their hair now. And so it was just this crazy blow dryer hairbrush thing. Why are all these things marketed to women? I'm guessing there's not a man in this room who has a, a hairbrush you plug into the wall because we're different and it's okay to say that. But in culture and society, the things that I'm saying right now are not popular. We want, it, we want everything to be this homogenous gray zone where we're neither, we're not a male, we're not very female, we're not masculine, we're not feminine. There's no roles that we identify in marriage. Everybody is just the same. Why would we want to think that way? It's because Satan wants us to think that way and he, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, is the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air and he controls Hollywood and Hollywood is constantly sending us a message that it's not okay to be masculine. He's sending a message to women. It's not okay to be feminine. You need to be more like men. Men, you need to be more like women. So we create this gray zone. God loves gender distinction. It's why he created us at the beginning of time. You know, Even Satan himself er, uh, uh, acknowledged these emotional differences in our makeup in Genesis 3, 1. When he tempted the woman, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes and desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and gave to her husband and he ate. Why did Satan tempt the woman in this way and not the man? Because he acknowledged that there was a difference in their emotional makeup, didn't make her weaker, it simply means that he appealed to an, a gender norm. He knows that this woman was built and created to desire beauty and to something that's, that's just there's sensory and, and she enjoys those things, has a great capacity for enjoyment. My range of emotions is like this. I get happy, I get sad, I get happy. My wife's range of emotions are much higher. My wife stands a much better degree of enjoying life than I possibly ever could, but you know what? God made her that way and it's okay. But Satan appealed to that as he tempted the woman. Even Satan acknowledges there's gender differences, there's gender norms. First Peter three also acknowledges that when talking to men and women, he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Don't treat them like you would another man. He says that we we live with them in an understanding way. We try to learn how they think. We try to learn what they like. We try to be sensitive to their needs, showing honor to the woman. Men, when's the last time you would say you showed honor to your wife? You did something that you made her feel valuable for what she contributes. Hopefully there's no men in here who are demeaning their wife. Hey, look who makes the money around here. And you're comparing incomes. Or you're you're mocking her for her lack of upper body strength. I don't know, do we have any female bodybuilders? But most women are not as strong as their husbands. Do you mock her and scorn her for that? Or do you honor her for being different? you honor her for being strong where you're weak the bible says we show honor to her as the weaker vessel this word weaker isn't just mean it doesn't mean inferior it means that they are made uh, constitutionally of something different it's the difference between a ming vase and tupperware the vase is far more valuable (laughs) far prettier to look at they're both containers but you don't treat tupperware the same way you do in a ming vase do you You would treat Tupperware, you know, they can hold water, they can go to work with you, you can throw it in the back seat. You don't even worry about it. That's kind of like what men are like. But ladies, you don't treat, men, you don't treat women like you would a Tupperware jug of water. They're going going to be fragile and they're going to break. And so it simply says, identify that the beautiful, valuable thing that God has given you is constitutionally different than you are and treat her with honor, treat her with respect, treat her differently. You know, as we close out this morning, uh, I watched a documentary, I don't know, maybe it was a year ago or so, uh, called What is a Woman? I don't know if anybody ever saw that or not. Uh, but it, asked, it went around the, uh, America and even around the world asking what a woman is. Do you know what? Nobody wanted to answer that. Everybody hemmed and hawed. And again, it's not because we don't know what a woman is. It's because we're scared. We're scared to go against what the world says. Does God distinctly say what a woman is? He does. A woman is distinct in many things. She's distinct in role, we saw. We saw. There's certain roles that she's better at than men. She's distinct in her body. We can't just become men and women just because we choose to. And she's distinct sociologically. She's distinct in spirit. And we don't demean women because they're different than us. We show honor to them as that more fragile and precious vessel that God has created our, our women to be. So ladies, I mean, I hate to be so demeaning as to say something like, it's okay to be a woman, but society is communicating a very different message. Not only is it okay for you to be a woman, God celebrates your womanhood. God celebrates your femininity. He celebrates all the beautiful ways that he has created you because he put those in you for a reason. You are strong, ladies, where we are weak. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you today that as we study your word, it gives us clarity, as to women and motherhood. And Father, I pray that you would send each woman away here today encouraged and strengthened, that they don't have to perform or act or behave like a man to be accepted as a woman. That they can be exactly what you've created them to be. That a, there is an inner strength and beauty of her heart, but that she does not have to perform and act and look and earn like a man just to be accepted by you. Lord, we thank you for our mothers who are able to balance You know, both work and family, and we're grateful for our mothers, you know, who are able to remain at home with their children. We celebrate all of these mothers today and pray that you would help us all to value this beautiful gift that you've given to us, called the home. Help our home guardians, Father, to uh, to open up our us as men our eyes to see the need for our relationship with one another and with our children. Give us beautiful and glorious homes that honor you. We pray in Christ's
0: name. Amen. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, may we do as Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments.